Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Connor Glassy. Connor is a writer and assistant editor at Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Connor Glassy. Connor has one N. Connor, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, Connor, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Oh, you know, I just, uh, I, I grew up loving the game. And, you know, something that, uh, like many people, I guess, was, you know, passed down from my father. He grew up loving the game and uh, just something that we could bond over. And I, I, you know, played and just always had a passion for the game. And then, you know, as I grew older, I developed a passion for writing. So being able to combine those two things has been uh, a real a real treat. Why the focus on amateur baseball and scouting? I don't know. You know, that's something that's, that's always interested me. And it was, it was my way to get my foot in the door here at Baseball America. I came out here as an intern. You know, I, my background was in journalism. I studied journalism, journalism at Central Washington University and then uh, moved across the country to intern at Baseball America in 2005. And kind of just, a, you know, between hard work and some good luck, uh, a spot opened up when, when one of the writers here, Matt Blood, was hired to be a scout for the Cardinals. So there was a spot open kind of right as my internship was ending, uh, and I was able to, to take over his position and cover you know high school players and, and cover the draft. Um, and I love it. I mean, I love you know seeing players play before they kind of make it big and um, it, it's just really cool to, to follow their careers and, um, you know, write about players who haven't really been written about very much. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and it's rewarding. And, uh, I like that it, it kind of changes every year. You know, there, there's a whole group of new players every year, you know, the draft, uh, just wrapped up here, but already, you know, the 20, the, the showcase for the 2014 players, the players who are in the summer heading into their senior year of, of high school that's already starting and, and we'll be covering it at baseball america so i just kind of like that that cycle yeah it's an interesting time for scouts and for you guys at baseball america i imagine that this time right after the draft there's no break there's no downtime here you have the college world series then you have the cape cod league and the, the break really is in the in the winter it's just sort of interesting how the draft segues right into more scouting yeah, it is. I mean, they, they get maybe a couple of days if they're lucky, but you're right. Uh, you've got to get right back into it because the high school players are starting to, you know, go to these big events all around the country, and you want to get uh, as many looks at those players as you can because that's kind of the key time to see uh, high school players because you get to see them, you know, hit with wood bats, see them against, you know, the best competition, see them face, you know, good velocity and good breaking balls and all that, and that's that's a really important time as is, uh, you know, not only the Cape Cod League, but all the summer leagues across the country, you know, the, to see college players in similar environments with the wood bats and this, um, you know, concentrated competition levels. Um, so, yeah, they're really in the break. You know, scouts <laughs> uh, grind it out and tough it out and put on lots of sunscreen and watch lots of players and, uh, you know, wait for that break when it finally does come in, uh, you know, November, December. January that time. Well, let's start talking about the draft. I guess the first question is, did the best players go to the worst teams? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there weren't too many surprises for us here at Baseball America. I mean, uh, a little bit just with the order there at the top, but really, you know, the players we had ranked one, two, three went in the top three picks and that's always good to see. And then it pretty much followed 
you know, most of the players that we had ranked highly went in the first round and with a few, maybe a few surprises, but uh, for the most part, it was pretty, you know, pretty much chalk. And that, that was always, that's always good to see. It just shows that, um, that we did a good job of, of evaluating the talent and talking to as many people as we could to kind of get things lined up correctly. And it showed that um, the system that, that MLB has put in place is working where the teams with the worst records are, are getting the best players. Mark Appel was drafted last year. He didn't sign. He went back to school. He went number one this year, so obviously that decision seemed to have worked out for him and for the Astros. Tell me a bit about Appel as a player. How many plus pitches does he have at this point, and realistically, how far away is he? It definitely worked out for him. I mean, I think a lot of people really questioned him heading back to school, but when you, when you look at it, I mean, he's going to end up getting more money, and now he has his Stanford degree, so uh, you can't really go wrong there. Um, obviously there is some risk in doing that, but it, it did work out for him and that's great. And he gets to go to the Astros and, and he has Houston roots. You know, he grew up there before moving to California and he has family there. So it, it's a, uh, it's a nice story. It's good for, good for Mark. And uh, I think he's going to, he's going to be a guy who moves quickly. You know, he has, he's improved every year at Stanford. He has a lot of polish, um, you know, so with his, he has a plus fastball and a plus slider, uh, and the changeup, I think, is average, you know, maybe to a tick above. But with his polish and his, his stuff, he's going to move quickly. Was he overused in college? I mean, not, some, not more than anybody is. I mean, that's, you know, kind of one of the, the disturbing things about the college game these days is that these coaches are all, you know, they have to win. And sometimes they uh, make decisions that are, you know, focused more on winning than on the long-term health of these kids and they have to you know they have to kind of step back and realize that they're in charge you know they're they're the gatekeepers for these kids and it doesn't matter if the kids say they want to pitch every single day I mean you have to be responsible enough to you know to have a grasp on that and but no I don't I don't think he was Chris Bryant went number two to the Cubs tell me a bit about him well he's uh he's a monster I mean you know college baseball tried to reduce the bats a couple of years ago and, and, and reduced exit velocities for, for the bats to improve safety. And, and what it did was it, you know, it made offensive numbers go way down, but he went out and, you know, <laughs> it looked like he didn't get the memo because he went out and hit 31 home runs. And that's a, a new record in the, the BB core area era. And uh, so he has tremendous power. I mean, this is a guy who's, who got Troy Gloss comparisons even when he was in high school. So this is a guy we knew, had tremendous power and he's done a good job of um, shortening up his swing and cutting down on his strikeouts and, and, you know, really utilizing that power and showing what he, what he can do. So he's, he's an exciting player. He might, you know, be a little too big for third base, um, but you could stick him in right field and he's a profile right fielder because he has a plus arm and obviously the, the well above average power. Jonathan Gray went number three. His positive test for Adderall didn't seem to hurt his draft stock. Should it have? No, I don't think it should have. Um, uh, sources in his camp say that it was a one-time thing, and, and even if you don't believe that, um, you know, it's not like it's uh, a drug of abuse, and it's not like it's a steroid, so I don't think uh, it really had too much impact on his stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a guy – throwing 100 miles an hour with a nasty slider. So uh, we had him as actually the number one prospect entering the draft, and you could kind of go back and forth between him and Appel. It was kind of 
splitting hairs there. Um, and even with, with Brian, I mean, those three guys were all kind of uh, tight, you know, in our rankings. But uh, I think the Rockies got a great pick in Jonathan Gray. Obviously, it's tough to um, get, you know, lure free agent pitchers to, to uh, Coors Field. So to get a guy who, who profiles as a top of the rotation kind of guy, I mean, that's that's a great get for the Rockies. And, and you know, you kind of had to think that he might not have been there. I mean, or, you know, we thought they was kind of going to go the two pitchers at the top, and then they were going to get Bryant. So to get one of the aces in this draft, I think that's that's great for them. Was there concern about the lack of track record with Gray? It seems like Appel was a guy we've been hearing about for years. Gray seems to have come out of nowhere, or at least relative obscurity. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that has to be a little bit of a concern. I mean, that that's one of the things that if you were going to, you know, like I said, Gray and Appel were kind of one and one A for us, and and the the case for Appel was that the track record was a lot longer. Uh, the you know his his complete arsenal is a little bit deeper, um, but Gray Gray stuff is a little bit more electric. So um, yeah, I mean that that probably was definitely taken into consideration for Houston. One of the things they said they liked best about Appel was that they have such a long track record of scouting him and, and you know the analysis that that can provide by having so many you know so much data on the player everyone that was doing pre-draft coverage baseball america obviously included seemed to have appel gray and bryant as the top three those guys seem to stand ahead above everyone else are any of those guys right after being drafted the best prospect in their system you can definitely make a case for all three appel you know it just kind of comes down to between him and carlos correa you know i i I love Carlos Correa, but I would actually probably take Mark Appel over him just because he's more of a sure thing. I mean, I think it's a guy you can see pitching in the big leagues uh, as early as next year. So, um, you know, but, but on pure talent, you can definitely argue either way on those. With Chris Bryant, uh, you know, Jim Callis actually got this question for an Ask BA column here at Baseball America, and he said he would take Bryant over, you know, the, the kind of trio of – Cubs prospects there at the top with Javier Baez and Albert Amora and, and Jorge Soler. I think I don't think he's as much of a slam dunk. I mean, um, Javier Baez is, is pretty special, so I think there could definitely be a good argument there. But uh, Jonathan Gray, I think, you know, would be the Rockies' top prospect. Let's go to the number four pick, Cole Stewart. The Twins grabbed him. Tell me a bit about him. Yeah, I mean, he, we had him as the, the top high school pitcher on the board. He's a, a physical Texas power right-hander, you know? I mean, it seems like there's one every year, but this guy has a mid-90s fastball and a good slider. And, you know, some scouts, when they saw him at his best this year, he was a little up and down this year, but some scouts, when they saw him at his best, said he was out there with four potential plus pitches and really knows how to pitch and uh, kind of a the complete package. The Twins seem to be building an exciting farm system, adding Stewart to go along with Buxton and Sano, that the future looks bright for Twins fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean... Buxton is out there, you know, tearing the cover off the ball, as is Sano. So, yeah, they're definitely, you know, they they need help because they're they're not good at the big league level right now. But they, I, you know, you could say they have the best farm system in baseball right now, and I don't think you get too many arguments. The Indians took the first high school bat in Clint Frazier. Tell me a bit about him. Uh, he's he's special, you know. He's uh, he's really fun to watch. Uh, he doesn't. Wow, you physically he's not one of these guys where you see him you know get off the bus and you're like oh that's that's the guy i want to watch but uh when you, when you see him take batting practice you do because he just has tremendous bat speed he can hit balls you know way out of the park to all fields 
Um, and at his, at his best, he, you know, he's a plus runner. Uh, his arm was a little up and down the spring, but I mean, he's shown a 70 arm at times. So he's just loaded with tools and, uh, he's going to be exciting to watch. The Marlins with the six pick took Colin Moran. Tell me a bit about him. More experienced player from North Carolina. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, being based here in North Carolina, I've had the opportunity to see Colin Moran a lot. Um, he's, uh, he doesn't do anything. I mean, he doesn't, he's not sexy. You know, he doesn't really impress you with his tools, but he's just solid every day, you know, can, can make all the plays at third base. He's not going to make the flashy plays. He's not going to be a gold glove winner, but he's a solid player, uh, you know, and, and really puts together professional at bats. He has a good eye to play. He's one of the best pure hitters in this draft. I don't know how much power he's going to hit for. He might just be, you know, like a, a 15 home run guy because he's got more of a, a flat line drive swing, but he really, you know, he can hit the ball the other way. Um, he's going to get on base. So, he, you know, I think he's going to be a, a very good hitter. Uh, he just might not have, you know, the power you would you would really want from third base, but he, <clears throat> the, the bat and everything else is, is going to be fine. He'll be ready soon, I imagine. Yeah, I think he could move quickly. You know, he uh, he's an advanced hitter from a really good program here and so yeah i think he can move quickly through the system this draft seemed to have a clear top three in appel bryant and gray and then the next top three of stewart frazier and moran the seven pick was an interesting one because i think there were a lot of people there that could have gone to seven the red sox were linked to a lot of people you i think you said that the red sox got their pockets picked i think they were probably hoping that one of those six would fall to them they didn't this was an important year for the red sox they don't normally pick this high in the draft they ended up picking Trey ball tell me a bit about him yeah, it was. You know, the, the Red Sox haven't had a pick this high in 20 years, but and I do think that they really were hoping to get, you know, Moran or, or Stewart or Frazier. But uh, Trey Ball is exciting. I mean, he's he's a really good athlete. I mean, coming into the year, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be more of an outfielder. You know, he's a guy who uh, bats and throws left-handed and has has some speed, has some power potential. But this spring, really turned it on on the mound. You know, he. Um, he was up to 94 miles an hour, uh, and his curveball really improved, and that's big because um, he hadn't thrown it very often. I remember, you know, he was there, there's a, a showcase called East Coast Pro, which is uh, the best players from the East Coast, and typically it's you know the players heading into their senior years. Well, he was there as a, a rising junior, and you know usually those players who are there as underclassmen are pretty special because the teams are handpicked by scouts, and you kind of have you have to make the team. Uh, from these regional tryouts. And he was there as a, a rising junior, and they put him on the mound, and you know, he, he threw a bunch of fastballs, and he comes in the dugout after the inning, and, and one of the scouts said, hey, you know, next inning, why don't you go out there and throw a curveball? And he says, well, I don't have a curveball. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's a guy who uh, has a fresh arm, and, you know, obviously scouts love that, and scouts love the athleticism, so... His upside is is pretty big, and he's got a nice fallback option if it doesn't work. I mean, he you know just because of his athleticism and his two way potential there, but uh, I think he's going to be a good one. Was that a reach at seven? No, I don't think so. I mean, I you know, uh, left hander who's athletic and throws ninety four, and you know those are those are hard to come by. The Royals did seem to reach at number eight. They picked Hunter Dozier. Tell me a bit about him. Yeah, he's a you know he's a big physical kid i mean he um you know he plays shortstop now i think he's definitely going to move he's six four two twenty you don't see too many shortstops like that so i think he'll probably play third base maybe second base but that's still even pretty big for a second baseman but 
you know, he's got a, a strong bat. He put together a really solid year. This is a guy who kind of flew under the radar a little bit. He didn't play in the K-plus series in the North Woods League. Um, but, yeah, he's a strong, you know, physical hitter with with some power. And uh, it, it initially, you know, yes, it did seem like a reach at eight. But if you look at their overall strategy, obviously they were able to get Shamanaya uh, later on in the draft, 30, 34th, I think it was. And, um you know, coming into the year, Shamanaya is a guy who is, you know, considered a top three pick, maybe even a candidate for one-one. So if they can if they can sign him, you know, overall, it could it could end up being a very good class for the Royals. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think one of the things that this new draft system has done is it does allow for more strategy, which is interesting, and I think that's fun to see how teams use that. But it's also, don't you want to take the best players available? I mean, realistically, couldn't they have gotten Meadows and Manaya? I don't think so. I, you know, I think because you know you have to you have to manage the money, and so you have to take a guy there who is willing to sign an underslot deal, so you can use that saved money deeper in the draft. And if you, you take a guy like Meadows, he's not going to do that. You have to take a guy who isn't expected to go eight, that you still like. Uh, so, I mean, if you think about it, like, had the had the Royals taken Manaya eight and Dozier at 34, you know, coming into the year, if, if you said that, no one would bat an eye. But the way you have to manage it is that um, you have to take Dozier there and then take Manaya because if, if Manaya doesn't sign, then you're only losing that smaller slot from your from your draft pool instead of losing the biggest slot in your draft pool. It's interesting. You mentioned that Manaya was seen as a possible number one pick around this time last year and a little bit later, obviously. Do we already know who's going to be, who are the top three guys, who's, who's the likely number one pick for the 2014 draft? Oh, sure. I mean, um, you know, I think you'd have to look at two guys in North Carolina State. Uh, Carlos Rodon, a big physical left-hander, you know, up to 97, 98. When he's good with a, a really filthy slider and just a, you know, mean streak on the mound, a lot of success. He led college baseball in, in strikeouts this year, and uh, he's great. And then their shortstop, Trey Turner, is, you know, can fly. He led the country in stolen bases last year, was dinged up a little bit with injuries this year, but still just has tremendous potential as a, a real table setter and uh, just a spark plug and the, probably the most fun player to watch in the country. Um, those are those are two of the guys. Tyler Beatty at, at Vanderbilt, you know, was a first-rounder already and has done nothing to diminish that stock, at, you know, over his first couple of years there. And um, on the high school side, it's guys like Alex Jackson, a real powerful He's a catcher right now. He's in the San Diego area as a high school player, and he'll probably move to the outfield. He has tremendous power. Another kid up in Northern California, a shortstop named Jacob Gatewood, uh, hit a home run at the area because last year that's tough to do. Blair Field is a really tough park to hit, uh, especially for a riding junior with a wood bat against some of the best pitchers in the country. Uh, so he, he's special. And then um, Tuki Tucson is a, is a pitcher from Florida, a high school pitcher from Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, he's already been up to 95, 96, 97 with a hammer curveball. Um, you know, real projectable kid. It looks like he has arms down to his knees and uh, really exciting to watch. And then another player from Florida would be Nick Gordon. It's Tom Gordon's son, Dean Gordon's brother. He plays shortstop and he pitches, so he's kind of a combination of both those guys. And, and he's uh, another outstanding guy. Those are some of the top guys, you know, for next year that I would keep an eye on. Rounding out the top 10 from this year, the Pirates took Austin Meadows and the Blue Jays took Philip Bickford. Give us a little report on both of those guys. 
Yeah, Meadows, you know, is um, was always linked to Fraser. Those two guys are from, you know, high schools in the same town. Uh, so that was a really fun story to follow this year. I had a chance to go down to see uh, Fraser and Meadows play during the year, and that was, I mean, probably the scouting event of the spring. I mean, there was about 100 scouts there and uh, a couple thousand fans. It was a really rowdy environment. Um, you know, not only just scouts, I mean, there was cross-checkers, scouting directors, a couple GMs, uh, you know, some special assistants. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, Fraser stole the show. But Meadows, you know, he's he's kind of the more classically built. I mean, six three, two ten, does everything real gracefully. Uh, laid back guy, but has a lot of tools. I mean, that nice left handed bat. He's, he's earned J D Drew, Drew comparisons just for his his skill set and kind of just his um, quiet nature, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, he he's a he's a great prospect and I think that's that's a really good get there for the Pirates at nine uh, and then Bickford was a guy he had a lot of late healing you know it's, it's, that's kind of rare for a Southern California guy because usually those are the, the guys with the magnifying glass on them the most but he was a guy who kind of shot up boards late you know he had some there were some talks that the Royals were going to take him at eight um, but yeah the Blue Jays got him at 10 I mean he's a guy who um, in his I think one of his last high school starts struck out 18 batters. I mean, he just reaches back and throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. So he's got a real big fastball. The question is how much his secondary stuff can come along, because right now it's a little bit behind. But, uh, you know, 97 miles an hour is, is pretty special. Skipping around a bit, who were some of the other picks in the first round that you thought were good picks, good value picks by the teams? And who were some picks that you may thought were reaches by teams? Well, you know, uh, I really liked DJ Peterson to the Mariners at 12. I thought he was you know, the best overall pure hitter in the draft. I mean, you know, you could say that Brian has more power, but uh, Peterson is just a really special hitter, and he has plenty of power himself. You know, he hit a bunch of home runs this year at New Mexico, and New Mexico plays the elevation, but the scouts I talked to said it didn't matter. You know, this guy could hit balls out of anywhere. So he's a guy who I think is going to move quickly um, and and be an impact bat in the middle of the lineup. For the Mariners, uh, I'm not quite sure where he's going to play yet. It might, you know, it might be third base, it might be first base, it might be DH, but um, I do think he's going to hit. So I like that pick. I like, I like Reese McGuire at 14 to the Pirates. You know, being able to pair him with Meadows, I think was really a good strategy for the Pirates. They got a ton of upside there with two, you know, up up the middle players. McGuire is really stands out for his defense. He's a kid who's been calling his own games since he was 10 years old, and he has some. Um, some left-handed power potential. So I like that pick. And I like the following pick, Braden Shipley to the Diamondbacks. Um, I didn't think there was any way this guy was going to get to 15. He's a guy who I think was probably in the discussion at four. Um, so to get him at 15, I think is a steal. He's got a mid-90s fastball. He can you know, reach back for 98. He's got just a very, very good changeup. Um, so I think this guy could be a, a top-of-the-rotation kind of guy. So I really like that pick at 15. As far as reaches, um, you know, the Giants kind of went off the board a little bit with Christian Arroyo at 25. Uh, and then, you know, after that, they picked Ryder Jones. And those were two players who we didn't, we didn't see those players going that high. So, um, you know, they, they'll probably have a little bit of scrutiny on them because they kind of bucked the, the consensus a little bit. Arroyo's a, re- a really good player. I like Arroyo, but I just don't think he's – the kind of guy that you want to take at 25. You know, I think he's more of a, uh, a solid player. He doesn't really do 
do anything that um, really impresses you and um, kind of profiles just as like a, a solid guy, not not an all-star or anything like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm more of a fan of rolling the dice in the first round, trying to get a little more upside. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens. The Giants have uh, kind of gone to their own drum in the past, and, and they've been successful with it. So, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. The Yankees ended up having three late first-round picks. Did they do all right with them? Yeah, I think they did really well. I actually really liked what the Yankees did. Um, you know, they were able to add Eric Chigalo, who already signed. Uh, this was a great year for, for college third baseman. You know, we already talked about Chris Bryant and Colin Moran and, and uh, DJ Peterson, but Chigalo was kind of the fourth guy there, and he's, he's another guy who can really hit, has some left-hand power. That obviously plays well at Yankee Stadium. Um you know, he's going to have to continue to, to get better defensively, but uh, but Scott's really like the bat. So I, I like that pick, and I like kind of the, the portfolio approach that the Yankees took, you know, getting a, a pure pure hitter, a guy who you really can kind of bank on with the bat, and then taking Aaron Judge after that, a guy who uh, is a little more high risk, high reward. Uh, there is some risk there just because, I mean, he's 6'7", 255. You don't see too many players – that big, you know, playing baseball. Um, so he does have some, some holes in his swing. He's going to have to really work to um, cut down on, on strikeouts and things like that. But when he hits the ball, he can hit it a mile. You know, I don't think there's any player that has more raw power in this draft. You know, maybe Chris Bryant, but Aaron Judge has tremendous raw power. So I like kind of pairing those guys together and then and then going with a really high upside high school left-hander, Ian Clarkin. He's a guy I didn't didn't see going 33 you know we had him ranked 17 coming into the draft so i really like that value there for the yankees um clark and you know polished socal left-hander up to 92 you know or sits 92 up to 94 with a probably the best curveball in this year's draft class if not the best you know definitely in the in, in the discussion in terms of signability issues, that's always a question with baseball draftees. Do you expect all the first-round picks to sign? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, usually, I mean, there's, there always seems to be one, but uh, I, I would expect everyone in this year's class to sign. One of the picks that the Red Sox got in the third round was the guy John Denny, a high school catcher that Baseball America had in their top 30. Why did he slip so far? You know, that's a good question. That's something I was asking scouts about after the first day. I actually felt really bad for the kid because he showed up there to the, you know, MLB Network Studios and, and was the only player who wasn't picked. I think it was a combination of a couple things. One was that not every team is willing to kind of take high school catchers that high. It's kind of a risky demographic, so there, there are some teams who kind of just shy away from that anyway. The other is that, uh, you know, he's a, he's a big stockier kid and so I don't think all teams believe that he will be able to stay behind the plate and then third is that his spring he didn't have a great spring um, especially down the stretch he didn't uh, you know put together good statistics so I think teams were a little worried about that so when you kind of factor in all those all three things um, it kind of limited the, the teams who were willing to take a, a chance on him but you know obviously we like his potential. We rank him really high. We like, uh, you know, scouts we talked to believe he can stay behind the plate and he has some thunder in his, in his bat. So I think, you know, if the Red Sox are able to find him, and I think they will, uh, you know, that could be a, a steal. 
Let's look at the 2012 draft. We've now had a year to evaluate these players. They've been in the system for a year. How different do you think the draft would look if it was done today? Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think there would be too many changes. I mean, the guys at the top, you know, Mike Zunino is the pick third. He's already up in the big leagues. He just got called up. Um, he, you know, he, he crushed last year. He's struggling a little bit this year, but, I mean, he's already in the big leagues. Byron Buxton's obviously tearing the cover off the ball. And uh, Carlos Correa, who went first, is having a really solid year, you know, and, and he was picked there because he was willing to cut a deal. So I don't think there would be too much at the top. You know, right after that, Kevin Gossman's already in the big leagues. Uh, Almora at six is is uh, having a great season. Um, you know, maybe he's a guy that would have gone five instead of six. Uh, Dahl maybe would have gone. David Dahl maybe would have gone a little bit higher. Or Addison Russell, two guys who who really tore it up after they signed. Um, yeah, no, I don't think there'd be too many major changes. Who would have fallen out of the first round? Are there any picks in the teens? The guys that uh, may have fallen out completely. No, I don't. I don't think so. You know, these are these are still the guys. You know, you got Michael Walker in the big leagues already. Marcus Stroman's been really good. DJ Davis is still really exciting. Those are those are still the guys. Let me ask you about some of these guys that have already made their debuts. Kevin Gaussman went number four. He struggled so far in I think a handful of starts. Is this just a case of small sample size, or is he not ready yet? You know, I I think it's small sample size. I. I haven't been able to watch all his games, but I did watch his debut. And the thing to me, just, uh, you know, my amateur eye, just looked like he, did, he wasn't trusting his changeup enough. You know, that's his, that's his bread and butter pitch. I mean, obviously his fastball is up to 97, but his changeup is, is a very, very good pitch. And uh, he didn't use it very often in, in his debut. Um, but, you know, there have been questions about his breaking ball. Obviously the, the changeup will be more effective for him as a right-hand pitcher against left-handed batters. So he, the, but the questions with his breaking ball, that's how he's going to have to get, uh, you know, the right-hand batters out. So um, that might need a little more tightening up. But uh, I, I think he has all the ingredients to be, you know, a, a number one or number two starter. He's, he's the real deal. I, I love Kevin Gossman. Zanino just got called up, as you mentioned. Dave Cameron from Fangraphs wrote a piece that was critical of this, saying that the Mariners are rushing him for no reason. Do you think they are rushing him? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think just because you look at what he's done in, in AAA this year, and he hasn't, it's not like he's, you know, in Tacoma tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, so I do wonder, you know, how that's going to translate. Um, I think he's he's ready defensively. You know, he's always been a solid catch-and-throw guy. Uh, but you'd like to see a little bit better production in AAA from a player you're calling up to the big league. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that, that whole situation unfolds. Michael Walker's already got called up, and it seems like the Cardinals just develop prospects and develop pitchers. Tampa's in a similar situation where they're really good at developing pitchers. What makes an organization like the Cardinals so good at developing pitchers in particular, and what makes someone like the Royals not so good? Yeah, you know, that, that's kind of the million-dollar question right now. I don't really have a great answer for you there, but uh, I think it, it just starts from, you know, from the ground up. It, the, the scouting, uh, you know, St. Louis scouts, you know, have an idea of what they're looking for, and they also have a really good relationship with the development staff. So everything kind of weaves together in, in the organization. You know, they've been, uh, you know, the article in Sports Illustrated talked about the Cardinals' way. This is something they've been doing, you know, for decades, and that that really helps just to have that cohesive strategy when you have your scouts on the same page as your player development system, and everything kind of flows, you know, just just right up 
the ladder, you know, from from scouting players in high school to college to you know the minor leagues and all the way up to the big leagues. There's uh, there's a plan, you know, and I don't know. Every team has a plan, but I think just having that track record and and the right people in place uh, has given the Cardinals one of the best farm systems and, and a big league roster that just continually has talent coming in. Buxton, who went number two in last year's draft, has been annihilating the ball so far this season. Scouts are raving about him. Is he right now the best minor league player? Is he number one prospect going into 2014? Yeah, uh, that'd be be my guess. I mean, especially because I think, you know, guys at the top like Profar and and probably even Tavares and Will Myers and those guys are going to exhaust their status. So I think he's a a pretty easy bet to be the, the number one prospect. Let's talk about some of the notable prospects from Baseball America's Top 100 going into the year. Uh, Jerickson Profar recently has graduated to the majors. I expect him to stay there. Kinsler's on the DL for a while. I think they're going to find a place for Profar to play and, and get him to play regularly. Dylan Bundy was ranked number two, and he hasn't thrown it all this year. What's going on with him? Yeah, I mean, you know, he had some, some arm soreness. He's gotten some uh, MRIs done, but it doesn't look like he'll need surgery, so... Hopefully he'll be back on the mound soon. Do you expect Xander Bogarts, the Red Sox shortstop of the future, to stay at shortstop, or does he project more as a third baseman? I think he'll. I think he'll get every chance to stay at shortstop. I mean, that, you know, that always increases the player's value so much, and uh, the Red Sox are already pretty loaded at third base with, you know, Middlebrooks there and and Garen Cicchini tearing it up in the minor leagues. So I, I think he'll get every shot to stay there. Yes. Any other notables from the top 100 that uh, catch your eye? Garrett Cole just made his debut. Zach Wheeler should be debuting soon. Those guys both ready to contribute? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think those guys are, are definitely ready. Um, I was actually surprised that it, you know, that, that so many pitchers taken after Garrett Cole beat him to the big leagues. You know, we're talking about guys like Walker and Goffman and those guys. From a year later, you know, he was the, the first overall pick. Obviously, his college teammate, Trevor Bauer, beat him to the big leagues. There were a lot of pitchers. So I think, I think Garrett Cole is more than ready, and he had a, a really nice debut last night. A guy that got a lot of attention last year was Billy Hamilton. He was stealing bases at record paces. He seemed to have slowed down a little bit in terms of his overall production and his stolen base totals. Is he still an elite prospect? Oh yeah, yeah, he's still an elite prospect. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly why his numbers are stolen down, but I mean, you know, last year was record-setting. So uh, I think it's, you know, it's not surprising that, that he's not keeping up that pace just because that was historic. You know, so. I I definitely still consider him an elite prospect. You've been listening to Connor Glassy. Connor is a writer and assistant editor at Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Connor Glassy. Connor, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. 